Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, good morning, Mercy Church. Hey, Easter weekend, man, what a phenomenal weekend we had as a church. Uh, It was our highest attended Sunday we've ever had uh, on Easter Sunday morning. We had um, several people, dozens of people, profess faith in Christ. We saw eight people get baptized. I mean, it was a a wonderful weekend. In fact, um, we are continuing that um, celebration of baptism this morning here at our Providence Road campus. We've actually got someone scheduled to be baptized. And so we're going to have the tank up here for both services and give you the chance at some point in the service towards the end uh, to respond. I know that maybe there were some of you that um, felt that, like maybe I should make that uh, step to go and get baptized. And you're a little iffy about it last weekend. And so we just decided since we have one scheduled for this weekend, we're going to leave it up here uh, for the whole time. And maybe you need to make that response today. And we'll talk a little more towards the end of the message about that. But it was it was an awesome weekend. Listen, if you're newer with us, it is a great time to be stepping into mercy because we've just begun a new series that's going to carry us through the next four weeks uh, that we're calling Following Jesus. Uh, the idea is real simple. We're going to lay out a simple, workable plan for how to follow Jesus. Uh, let me explain. And the way I want to explain this, something that uh, I think a lot of us can relate to, how many of you, let's do a little show of hands, have ever tried at some point or another to get physically healthy? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get in shape, right? Now, here's what happens a lot of times, and what happens, I know for me, it's happened many times, my desire to get in shape is really high, right? Usually around the start of the year. So what do I do? I go and I, I join a gym, I walk into the gym, and there's a number of things that I could do. It's like this fitness machine buffet, right, that kind of is a little bit overwhelming, right? So what do I do? I kind of go to my go-to, I do 100 bicep curls, and then I go run on the treadmill, right? And then I'm like, whew, that was a good workout. I'm exhausted. Well, maybe it was a good workout. I don't really know if it was a good workout, right, because I don't really know what I'm doing. So the next uh, couple days later, I go back into the gym. I'm scanning. I'm a little overwhelmed. I go, well, back to the biceps and the treadmill. And I just kind of do that a few times. And what happens, I'm kind of cruising around the gym this way for about a month. I I try and find those big ropes and do those a couple of times and think, all right, now I'm getting in shape. But after about a month, I'm kind of bored right? And, and the big thing is, I feel like I haven't seen any real change, right? I haven't really gotten anywhere. Why? Why haven't I I'd seen a lot of change? Well, my desire to get in shape was high, but I didn't have a plan. And I didn't really know what I was doing. Well, this year, to kind of change things up, I decided I needed to go get a plan. I needed to talk to somebody who knew um, how to do this whole thing and help me out. So I enlisted the help of a trainer, right, who knew how to help, who built a holistic plan that was set to monitor food, monitor um, exercise at home, and I started seeing results and feeling better, and then injured my shoulder and had nothing to do with them. It was kind of a freak thing, but that's not his fault. (laughs) Here's my point. 
A good desire without a good plan will leave you frustrated and will eventually burn out your desire, which is why the gym is always slam-packed in January and emptied out by February, right? A bunch of people with good desires and no plans. I see the same thing with so many people in their faith. A good desire to grow closer to God, but no real plan on how to. You're gonna read, so what happens? You're like, all right, it's January. I'm gonna read the whole Bible in a year. You get really pumped about it, and Genesis, Exodus, things are going well, and then you hit Leviticus, and it's just over, right? You burn out, right? Most people have never had a plan for following Jesus, and so what happens is we kind of go through the motions just sort of settling for kiddie pool faith, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, but they never press into how that love affects their marriage, affects their friendships, right? Or it's like, I'm going to read the Bible, but I'm never going to press into what the scriptures mean for how I advance the gospel to the lost and with the people around me. You just kind of hum the song and walk along in life. And when life gets tough, usually you get mad at God. You feel like you aren't seeing results and you walk away. It's kind of like blaming the gym because you purchased a membership, did biceps for a month and then left. (laughs) You need a plan, Right, And if it's not kiddie pool faith, what I've seen is people get really intense in one aspect of, of walking with Jesus, like Bible knowledge, right? You get really intense about Bible knowledge, you'll kill it in learning the Bible, yet really struggle to obey what it says about sacrificially loving your neighbors. That's because you're only doing bicep curls. Others will see Jesus caring for the poor, and you'll, you'll, that'll connect with you, and you'll dive into it, and you give yourself away serving your community, which is good, Yet you'll waffle in your commitment to the local church, which Jesus calls his very bride. Just doing bicep curls. My point is, I think we need a plan and we need a trainer to walk you through it, right? The Bible contains our plan. That's the good news. And the church led by its pastors is built and designed to train one another. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna show you a plan and how you can use it to help you follow Jesus. It's, look, this is just a tool, okay? If you use it, we think it'll help you, but it's just a tool. You don't use it, it's not gonna help you, right? Now, I wanna say something at this point before I really kind of open this whole thing up. I recognize some of you aren't sure yet if you want to really follow Jesus, but you're here, which says you're at least willing to listen and see if this is for you. So what I wanna challenge you to is to kind of ask you to hear this out for the next four weeks because we never talk about how to do something in in the Christian faith without talking about why. And you're gonna hear a whole lot of why throughout this series, especially today, where we're just gonna talk about how people change. In order to talk about how people change, we're gonna talk about why they would want to change to begin with. So give it four weeks to really evaluate this faith. You may be really surprised by what you come away with. Now, this plan, this tool that we're putting forward together is something we're calling the gospel wheel, and it's here to help you follow Jesus in your everyday life. So what we did is we took the Bible's teachings on all of the, kind of all of what it looks like to follow Jesus, all the commands, all the motivations behind the commands, and try to summarize it into a somewhat helpful tool. Now, this doesn't replace the Bible, okay? It just attempts to summarize it. So I wanna show it to you and then kind of talk through how we can use it, okay? Now, it's a really simple tool. It's called, that we're calling the gospel wheel, right? Now, I gotta be honest, this moment, um, I feel (laughs) a little bit like a weatherman, okay? (laughs) So like, hey, here's a northeasterly Jesus kind of coming in and we'll see what what he has for us over the next little bit. I don't know, but just try and ignore that and and let's let's focus in, okay? Now, this this tool uh, is gonna require me to explain it. I gotta shift a little bit into teacher mode even more than 
preacher mode for about five minutes, so you got to hang in with me, all right? Um, look, by the way, over the course of the series, we're going to be putting out some great resources for you. Our team has developed, our creative team has developed a great website that is in its final stages of prep. It's going to be great for us, all right? Um, as your pastor, it's my job to equip you to follow Jesus, and that's what we're doing with those, this whole thing, okay? So here's the idea. If your life is a wheel, okay? That's the metaphor we're going with. Now, I know you can go ahead and sing it, Jesus, take the wheel, just let that roll through there and get out, okay? All right, if your life is a wheel, what we say is that discipleship following Jesus is centered on the gospel. That's at the center of the wheel. The gospel is not just the front door to Christianity, it's the whole house, all right? And progressing in the Christian life means growing in the knowledge of God's love for you and staying grounded in that love. Y'all, this is the heartbeat of who we are as Mercy Church, all right? 1 Peter 2.10 says, once we were not a people, right? Because we had not encountered God's love, because, but then it says we became a people because we encountered mercy, once we had not received mercy, now we have received mercy. The word mercy is our summary of the gospel message in just down into one word, right, that Peter uses. That's at the center of the gospel wheel because we believe that's at the center of our lives. That's massive for understanding this, okay? This is what we talked about on Easter. It's why Easter was our first part in our series on following Jesus because the only way to move forward in your faith it's to stand firm in the gospel. I'm gonna come back to this every single week, all right? In Christ, you have payment for your sin. You have perfection and standing before God. He doesn't see your will, we'll talk about later. He sees Christ and you have God's power for life change. The gospel is our motivation for living, all right? It is the hub at the center of the wheel that is your life. You tracking so far? All right, it holds everything in place. Everything in your life takes its cue from the gospel. Now, what we've done from there is we've summarized the three, um, all the commands of scripture into three basic buckets, all right? Uh, the, think of these as the spokes of the wheel. We call those devotion, which you see in red, community in yellow, mission in blue. Devotion, community, and mission. When we say devotion, we say Jesus, um, when he called his disciples, he said, follow me. That wasn't following a philosophy. That was following a person, right? The great commandment of Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God. Love this person with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? Acts 2, when the new church gathers together for the first time, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, which was all about Jesus, all right, so what we're gonna do in this section, and this will be next weekend where we really knock this out, we're gonna train you on what it looks like of how to build a personal devotional life with God, all right? How you're devoting your whole life to God. We're gonna talk about the Bible. We're gonna talk about prayer. We're gonna talk about obedience to God and all of that stuff um, and how that all comes in joy and a joyful response to what God has done for us in the gospel. Community, Jesus didn't start a movement. He created a whole new community, the community that he called the church. And the gospel not only brings us into a restored relationship with God the Father, it brings us into a community with other followers, right? So that's why we say community is such a, listen, there are 47 one another commands in the New Testament, all right? And the cool thing is, all right, this is what I love. God wires us up so that if we're all resting and abiding in the gospel, okay, he's wired us differently so that when we live in community with one another, the way I say the short way is your life is a community project. When we live in community with one another, we actually encounter more of the character of God by the way we interact with one another because he's all designed us differently. But that only happens when we're first abiding in the gospel, 
okay? So we abide in who we are in Christ, and then we experience more of God's character as we serve one another and care for one another in the church, all right? I love that. We're going to talk about then, again, that's kind of like the church is designed to be a reflection of heaven here on earth, and that's how that happens, all right? Which is why we say local church involvement is not just like participating in a program, it's what God has designed you for. It's where you experience God himself in his fullness. All right, the next one's mission. When Jesus saves us from our sin, he saves us into community, but then he gives that community a rescue mission to see other people come to know his great love for us. The people of mercy, as First Peter calls us, are people who obey Jesus' command in Matthew 28 to go make disciples of all nations. But look, that command can be kind of abstract, Sometimes, And this whole series is about getting real practical with how you follow Jesus day in and day out. So we're going to talk about how God can actually use people like us to help other people come to know his great love for them. It's going to be awesome. Listen, people are God's plan A for taking his love to other people. All right. And we're just going to walk through what that looks like. And here's what happens. When we are um, abiding in Christ, giving ourselves to these, again, just the buckets are buckets, okay? There's no like, we're not trying to say this is definitely the only way the Bible talks about how to follow Jesus, okay? It was just a summary. But when we give ourselves to these three distinctives, these three areas, what will happen over time is we're gonna start to grow more into the image of Christ. That's our destination, which is why Christ-likeness is like the, I guess, the tire on the wheel, um, if you wanna get into the metaphor a little bit, right? But it's, our, it's where we grow and what it looks like as we grow into the image of Christ. As we devote ourselves to God, we're transformed into something completely different than the old me. That's what we're gonna talk about more today, okay? That's what we've got here. Devotion, community, mission. A follower of Jesus is fueled by um, those, by the gospel itself, and their life begins to be marked by those things. Now, let me give you, let me switch back into preacher mode, a little bit more than teacher, okay? And give you a couple of promises um, about this tool that we're using. Here's the first one. Listen, you cannot make God love you any more or less today than he already does in Christ. You gotta hear this, guys. A lot of what's gonna happen over these four weeks is personal assessment. Like if, if all you've been doing is bicep curls and then you find out, oh, maybe I should do a leg day every once in a while. Right? and you start doing some exercises on your legs and you realize how weak they are, man, that, you, might be look, you might look at your life, your spiritual life, and think, man, my wheel is pretty misshaped. I've been reading the Bible a whole lot, but never been engaged in any of these other areas, and so that wheel ain't gonna roll anywhere, right? Listen, that's gonna be every single one of us in one way or another. None of us are perfect. Jesus is the only one who's perfect. So here's the warning. Don't let this tool and this season become a checklist. If you do, you'll start to become the older brother from the prodigal son story we saw last week, where he demanded things from the father because he had followed all the rules. We're not trying to create a bunch of religious elites around here. All right. We're trying to lay out a simple plan for how to follow Jesus. All right, you know every time the New Testament lays out a command, somewhere right before or after that command is a reminder of the gospel because we are so prone to separate the what from the why. The, but the, we would do, that'd be like for this metaphor, separating the spokes from the hub, which won't work. God's love for you, that must be what fuels this whole endeavor. That's why we preach the gospel every single week around here. And you know what? If you leave these four weeks, and the only thing you really know is the gospel and God's love for you, listen, that is way, way better than only leaving with a checklist of things to do, 
all right? Now, let me give you a second promise, though. That's that God's commands are access points to experiencing his love. Uh, let me change the idea for, for a little bit. Instead of a wheel, think, um, I've been talking about those three buckets. It's kind of like spokes. Think of God's commands for a second as like power lines. The purpose of a power line is to carry power out from the source. Here's what I promise you. Obeying Christ's commands is kind of like grabbing onto the power lines of God's love for you, which is why Christians will tell you that things like the first time they go share the gospel with a non-Christian, it might be kind of scary and a little bit awkward at first, but they come back with a sense of joy, right? And that's because it's reminding you of God's love for you and how someone came and and shared that with you. Or maybe for me and uh, my wife, Courtney, it was definitely when we started to really give as God had called us to give. Uh, We were nervous and a little bit scared about that. But what we found is the Lord brought us great joy in giving our resources, our finances away to his mission. He filled us with joy through that. And that's because John 15 was becoming true for us. Jesus says, follow my commands. I've done this so that your joy might be full, right? And so I'm promising you, as you follow Christ, ideally from the the heart that says I've been redeemed by Christ, and so everything I'm doing, all my obedience is based out of his love for me, man, you will experience joy, which means sometimes these, these things that we're doing, these disciplines will feel like disciplines, things that we don't really feel like doing, but God might be using those to actually reawaken um, your heart to his love for you. Now, listen, I told you today's the the destination. It's the Christ-likeness part of this, and here it is. The main idea that we're going to focus on for the rest of our time this morning is going to be on what you will become when you follow Christ with your whole life, all right? Here's the the big idea for Christ-likeness, okay? You become like Christ by abiding in Christ. All right, the way we're gonna say it throughout this series is that because Jesus is full of grace, listen, he will meet you right where you are. But because he's full of power, he won't lead you there. He'll change you into a new person. Now, I wanna offer uh, maybe one last word of caution. This isn't a 30-day get ripped for Jesus plan. All right, like the before and after commercials where beforehand the God's just like depressed blob in black and white. And then 30 days later, he's on the cover of Men's Fitness Magazine or or something like that. That's not what what this thing is, okay? Spoiler alert, you will never be perfect, all right? That's what I said earlier, because um, only Jesus is perfect, all right? God's going to use your weakness and sin to remind you of how much you need his grace still. That's a good thing for us. So if you get into mid to late May, four weeks from now, and you're like, man, I'm still getting angry at people. I'm still struggling with sin. What's wrong with me? Well, in one sense, nothing's wrong except that you're you, okay? And I'm me, we're still sinners. So this is all about progress, not about perfection, all right? I told you, this series is summarizing a lot of Bible content into a few ideas. So I wanna begin, just if you're kind of used to a normal way that we operate here at Mercy, we just take one passage of scripture and we go through it. This series will be a little bit different. We'll be hitting a couple of different places um, each Sunday, okay? So it'll it'll feel a little bit different um, than a typical one, but that'll be for about four weeks, and then we're right back into just walking through passages of the Bible, all right? So here's um, 2 Corinthians 5 is where I want to go to. That'll be kind of our main text for this whole idea of Christ likeness, all right? I want to show you why we say that Christ likeness is the destination where we're heading, all right? And how diving into the gospel is what takes us there. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is, this is, a great, this is great news. He is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. This is major. You gotta understand this for this whole Christ-likeness idea. If you are in Christ, the Bible teaches that you are being recreated into something new. The old you, it's not there anymore. Isn't that hopeful? Like, you take a second and be thankful. The old you is gone. He is recreating you. Because of his grace, he meets you where you are, but because of his power, he doesn't leave you there. He transforms you into a new creation. And I want you to see it, how the gospel is the motivation for this new creation life and walking in this new creation identity God's given you. Verse 21, he made the one, I told you, Paul never goes far before he goes right back to the gospel. He made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's verse 21. What that means is not that Jesus became a sinner, but that he became a substitutionary payment for our sin so that we might be set free from our sin. That's the great exchange that we talk about regularly around here. And if you're new to Christianity, let me explain it just kind of real briefly. The Bible says everybody sins, okay? Sin is the great I problem. I want to do what I want to do because I want to do it. And ultimately I'm in charge and not God. All right, sin, it's often seen, this idea of sin as an action, like something we do. But it's not primarily an action. It's actually, it's more an attitude, like an attitude, a posture, a disposition of rejection. Like I'm rejecting God and choosing self. All right, that sin, that rejection, scripture says, comes with a curse. We are separated from God and we're under penalty of death. The gospel says Jesus takes that penalty from us when he goes up on the cross. And therefore, he removes the separation that was between us and God. But not only that, right? That's his payment for us. But then he also perfects us. He gives us now, his perfection is, is given to us. That's what's called the great exchange. He gets our sin, we get his perfection, and, and he transforms us. He gives us the power to transform into what Paul calls a new creation, a new creation in the righteousness of God. Well, there's only one thing, of course, that is the righteousness of God that Paul's talking about here. That's Jesus. We are to become like him. And the rest of the New Testament shows us this. This has always been God's desire for you and I is to become more and more like his son. One of my favorite spots to describe this is Romans 8, 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, please, do not get hung up on the word foreknew, predestined. That's just for another time, okay? Uh, another sermon. But what I want you to see is to follow Jesus isn't just to watch Jesus. Does that make sense? Because in our world, so like in 21st century social media kind of space, following can just mean to observe and see what is happening. To follow Jesus is not that, okay? To follow Jesus is to become like him. The new creation he's making us into is one that's becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, let me show you the key to all of that, to being transformed into the image of his son, the thing that will actually change you. Listen, God's love, alluding to what I said earlier, God's love is the power that changes us into the image of Christ. There are, and this is the, the whole thing for today, how people change, there are two primary ways to approach God. One is to say, I obey, do the things, and therefore God will accept me. That's what every religious system has always been built on. 
If you follow the rules, you will be rewarded for following them. But the other is to say, I am accepted and therefore I will obey. That's the gospel. It's an entirely um, unique way of thinking about religion and it goes against our natural way of thinking and our natural way of thinking about faith. These two approaches produce two entirely different kinds of change, all right? Religion produces this kind of mechanical outward change. It's kind of like, um, say, for example, you're standing on a pile of sand. How do you grow the pile of sand? You add more sand to it, right? That's religion. Add more good behaviors, the pile will grow. That is fundamentally different from, say, how, a, um, how you make a tree grow. How do you grow a tree? You don't just add branches to it. No, a tree grows from within. It grows organically. The gospel produces inward change and grows you into Christ-likeness from within. Religion, y'all, religion will give you lots and lots of to-dos. Go to Bible study, you know, give your money, pray a lot, a lot of rules to follow, but it alone is mechanical change. The gospel motivates you in an entirely different way. It's internal change of the heart and a change of your motivations. True Christ-likeness is always rooted in the gospel. You can only become like Jesus in your character when you have first seen how Jesus became like you on the cross. Because Jesus took your sin on the cross and gave you his righteousness as a gift, then you're empowered through his spirit to take on his character. This is the change that flows from security in God's love for you, not something that's trying to attain security in his love. 1 John 4.10 summarizes this so simply. We love him because he first loved us. Love from him produces love for him and then love for others too. And think about it this way. You ever see any of those um, WWJD bracelets or billboards, right? Uh, what would Jesus do? I, I get what they're doing, but I just kind of wish they'd go away forever because um, the problem is they're starting in the wrong place. I mean, especially the billboards. When I'm in traffic, I don't need a Jesus scorecard kind of looking down on me, judging me, right? On top of everything else I got going on. You know what, that, that, that's religious peer pressure that's happening right there. The Christian life doesn't start with, doesn't start with what would Jesus do. It does go there. It does go to follow Jesus. That's what we talked about. It goes there, certainly. But it always starts with WDJD. What did Jesus do, right? And in seeing how he became sin for us, we respond seeking to live our lives in this like worship-filled response to him. We must rehearse the gospel in every step we take towards becoming like Jesus in our character. All right, let me explain. His generosity makes us more generous. So God calls us to be generous with everything that we have. We have to start from a place of not just, okay, I will give, but no, we have to remember his generosity is what's calling us to be more generous. Second Corinthians, Paul tries to motivate the Corinthians to be more generous. What does he say? He doesn't yell at them and say, you stingy thieves. How could you sit here like this when these other churches are starving? He doesn't manipulate them and say, hey, if you give, then God will make you rich. That's prosperity theology, no. What does he do? He reminds them of the grace that they have received in Christ. And he says, dwell on that and then give generously. In fact, you can't give under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. So give as a response to the gospel. Think of it this way. 
His relational love is what makes us more relationally loving. Ephesians chapter five, Paul wants men to be better husbands. He doesn't say, shape up deadbeats, right? Stop hiding behind your work. You're not too tired. Stop whining. Get out there and love your wife. No. I mean, some wives may wish that's what he would have said, but he doesn't do that. No, he says, look at how Christ has treated you. Stare into the wonder of how Christ loves his bride, the church, which you are a part of. Receive that love and then love your spouse from the love that you've been given in Christ. To think, this is why I say, to think that you can have a healthy, thriving marriage without self-sacrificing love and without experiencing that self-sacrificing love in Christ, to me is crazy, and that's where it comes from. Listen, his security is what forms our self-image. John 8, Jesus tells the woman caught in adultery to go and change. But here's how he says it. He says, neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more. The assurance of his forgiveness comes first. The call to change comes second. Religion says, go and change, and then you won't be condemned. If you meet the standard, then God will love you. That's not the gospel, though. The gospel says you are forgiven. Now go and live as one who has experienced forgiveness. In fact, that leads me right to maybe one more for today. His forgiveness is what makes us more forgiving. This one's personal, super personal to, I'd say, probably all of us at some point or another. Somebody hurts us. Uh, maybe it's the spouse. Maybe it's the friend. Maybe it's the coworker. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child. I mean, it happens. And if, in that moment, I only see Jesus as my, my model. I only think WWJD. What will happen is I'll have to grit my teeth and try and forgive because, well, that's what, that's what Jesus would do if he were here. See, what I'm trying to do there is I'm trying to reach Christ-likeness in my own strength when I do that. That's behavior modification. But no, the gospel says those who have seen grace will naturally show that kind of grace. This is what Jesus had to teach to Peter, to Peter, because Peter was complaining, oh, how many times do I have to forgive someone who sins against me? Like seven? This is the interaction between Jesus and Peter. Seven, and Jesus says no, 70 times seven or continuously. And then he goes in, and after he says that, he tells the parable of a king and his unforgiving servant. He tells Peter, with everyone listening, the story of a king who wanted to settle out all of his debts, so he called a servant that owed him 10,000 talents, which is a billion days worth of wages, basically, like an impossible payment, more money than circulating in all of Palestine at the time. And you got all these people listening in, right? This guy, there's no way he's ever gonna be able to pay his debt. And so the guy begs the king, please don't imprison me. I'll try and, and pay it back. The king, of course, knows that he can't. But the king, Jesus says, has compassion on this servant. And so he forgives his debt and releases him. Well, Jesus says, upon leaving, this servant sees a guy that owes him a day's wages, a few bucks for lunch. And the servant gets angry with the guy and has this guy thrown in prison. Well, the king hears about it and is, is shocked. He says, I forgave you from all of that one billion days wages. Shouldn't you have mercy on your friend who only owed you a day's wages? Like I had mercy on you? King throws the guy in jail. Now, of course, Jesus' listeners, Peter, standing right there, everybody's around going, no one would ever be forgiven that much and then go out and not forgive somebody right after that. And Jesus is saying, exactly, exactly. So if you can't forgive, 
it means that you have forgotten my forgiveness. Jesus is our model, but he's not only our model, he's also our power. The gospel is not just the front door to the Christian house, it's the whole house. The more we make our home in it, the more we will grow into the image of Christ. And y'all, when that starts to happen, the Bible says it'll be visible. It'll be visible. The spirit of God in us will begin to produce what the Bible calls fruit. Just like a healthy plant produces good fruit, the sign that you are spiritually healthy, that you're residing in the gospel, making your home there, and you're obeying those commands is healthy fruit will start to be produced in your life. This is the last scripture I wanna show you today. It's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the spirit, which is the fruit of following Jesus, the spirit of God residing in you and bearing fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Your community group is gonna focus in on this fruit to help you kind of go through. This will be one of those things I told you. Assessment of are you giving yourself fully to Christ? Are you abiding in the gospel? And it might be painful as you walk through that fruit, but honest self-assessment, that's a good starting point. In fact, throughout this series, as we train you how to follow Jesus, I hope you go through some self-assessment. Let me give you a, a couple of questions to ask yourself, to help make sure that this doesn't become a burden to you, okay? And it's really important. The first question is gonna be, as you go through this, and maybe it's that you look at that scripture from Galatians 5, the first question is, where are you right now? That's an honest assessment, you know, that you gotta be honest with yourself in all of this. Is the fruit of the Spirit visible in my life? Right, maybe when we get into devotion, do I spend time drawing closer to the Father? Mission, do I pray for those that don't know Jesus? I mean, there's gonna be some natural self-assessment of where am I right now? But listen, the next question right after that is what do I need to stop believing and what do I need to start believing? Because listen, bad fruit comes from bad belief. Good fruit from good belief. So to go after good fruit means to assess where you need to reorient your heart and mind around the gospel again. In fact, I'm gonna tell you something real powerful in this. And it's gonna be just a reminder I'm gonna say throughout. When you think about the wheel that is your life and you assess it, you might be prone to think you're a mess and that can feel like a burden. But if you're in Christ, if you've repented of your sin and believe Christ died for you, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your wheel. He sees Christ and he sees Christ's perfection. So that means you need to pick your head up and start walking in the freedom from sin that Christ has paid for. And that leads you to that third question. Where am I now? What, what belief do I need to change down at the heart? But then what's my next step? What's my next step? There should be a next step God is calling all of us to take. In fact, over the course of these weeks, these combination of sermons, I hope that the combination of the study guide that you're in, your community groups, um, those discussions, maybe reflection on your own time and, and these sermons, all of us should identify a next step that we can take. And we do it in community with one another. And now listen, I told you, that we get back to this whole idea of, of response to the gospel. And the whole time I've been talking about how people change, that's all I'm talking about, <laughs> responding to the gospel. And you need the gospel hope right now, but I recognize that some of us in church, what we love about Mercy Church, people come as they are. Some of you are not sure if you have the hope of the gospel, that you are secure in your salvation. You've not believed that yet. Listen, maybe it's because you're recognizing now your life has never really changed. 
When all the different times you've tried church, tried religion, tried this stuff, has never really changed, and you're thinking, well, maybe there's no fruit. <laughs> maybe all I had was an emotional experience once, but I never actually decided to follow Jesus. I'm still a fan. What we're talking about today, the great news is that you do not have to work yourself into a place where God will approve of you. You just need to take a step to follow him. The first step, the first step is just repentance. It's turning from sin, turning from sin and saying, okay, I believe that Christ, he paid for my sin and now I can be reconciled to God the Father. And I'm going to rest in what Christ has done for me. Do you catch that? The first step in getting spiritually healthy, if we wanna use the metaphor related to the gym, the first step is actually to rest, to abide in what Christ has done for you. And then out of that love, you respond. The next step Jesus tells us is to respond in baptism. That's why we're doing baptisms again as that response is to declare publicly among other believers, yes, I'm believing in Christ's righteousness for me. I'm taking that step. I believe he has done everything necessary to save me. And maybe you need to take that step today. Like I said, you maybe were thinking about it last week. Maybe today you've realized, gosh, I, I, never, I never followed Christ. I've only been a fan this whole time. I need to surrender my life and follow him. You need to take that step and be baptized. Our pastoral team will be around um, to help you during the service and immediately after if you wanna take that step. Listen, let me close this way. Just a, a short guided prayer I wanna walk all of us through. All right, so if you would, bow your head and close your eyes. Let me walk you through this and then our, our team, which will probably get in place, they'll come up and they'll lead us from here. Here's the prayer that I want you to pray there in your seat. If you believe this gospel message, it's really simple. You say, I have, God, I have all I need in Christ today. You just pray that. I have all I need in Christ. So Father, make me more like him today. What you're saying there, I have all I need in Christ. You're saying I'm resting in the gospel. Father, make me more like him today. That's saying, God, I'm yielding control of my life to you and letting you do the work in me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna seek to follow you. I'm secure in Jesus and in response to what he's done for me, I'm gonna follow you. If, that's, if you can't pray, I have all I need in Christ, if you haven't surrendered to Christ, that's your response. I'm believing today that I have all I need in Christ. God, I repent of my sin, I give you my life. Father, I pray that as a church, you would make us more into the image of Christ. Use whatever I've said over the past few moments for your glory in our church. Help us to grow into the image of Christ, to encourage one another uh, to walk with you uh, that you might receive the glory in our day. God, we love you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.